The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very good morning, everybody. This is Squawk Box, and these are your headlines. Wall Street closes in the red for a second straight day as Treasury yields rise on hawkish Fed comments. San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly is warning the inflation fight is nowhere near done. We are still resolute and completely united on achieving uh, price stability, which doesn't mean 9.1% inflation. It means something closer to 2% inflation. So a long way to go. Meanwhile, U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi irritates Beijing as she pledges strong support for Taiwan, becoming the highest-ranking American official to visit the island in 25 years. Today, our delegation, which I'm very proud, came to Taiwan to make unequivocally clear we will not abandon our commitment to Taiwan and we are proud of our enduring friendship. Société Générale posting a smaller-than-expected loss in the second quarter as revenues jump almost 13%. We're going to be speaking to the group's CEO, Frédéric Oudéa, in a first on CNBC interview coming up at 7.30 CET. And China's services sector expands at its fastest pace in over a year. This is a rebound effect as easing COVID curbs boosted confidence. Welcome to Squawk Box, everybody. Great to see you there. Well, as Jeff just mentioned, we saw a negative close uh, for the Wall Street markets overnight. But this is, of course, a twofold impact. It's not just the fact that we've got investor sentiment a little bit jittery um, as we've got tensions between the US and China on the front burner as uh, Nancy Pelosi is visiting Taiwan right now. And China also has announced military drills in response. But the other effect here is what is going on with regards to Fed thinking. Uh, We've got a number of commentators Uh, from the US, for example, Mary Daly just a moment ago, you heard her. And she also says she does not know why the markets are starting to price in mid-2023 cuts in interest rates. And we also got uh, the Fed's Mester saying there is a narrow path to not sparking a large rise in layoffs. And indeed, overnight, we also got the JOLTS number, which showed that there were uh, um, fewer job openings um, and hirings fell for the fourth straight month. So certainly the labour market not perhaps as strong as uh, originally thought. As for what's happening with the Asia markets, we can uh, see that it's not as bad a picture as it was yesterday. We saw sharp losses for the Asian markets yesterday on fears about that Taiwan visit. We saw a drop of over 2%, for example, for, for Hong Kong and for Shanghai. Taiwan, actually, in comparison yesterday, was only down by 1.6%. But today, the picture in these markets are still moving, uh, a little bit more sanguine about things. Um, whether or not it's calm before the storm, we don't know. But right now, uh, there is um, somewhat of a, uh, a, a, a moderation in the fear right now. The Hang Seng is managing to claw back a little bit of ground along with the Shanghai market. And the Nikkei 225 is also uh, up by four-tenths of a percent, perhaps also helped by the easing of the Japanese yen, which got a massive move 
from safe haven flows yesterday, Jeff, but uh, today actually has near has um, eased from near the 130s uh, back up to around the 133s. So uh, certainly that would be helping at the margins for the Japanese equity market. Yeah, I think the tone looks better than expectations, doesn't it, of these yes. Asian markets, given um, all the threats that we've heard from China. And more importantly, perhaps the fact that the Fed still sounds hawkish and that generated some reaction in the Treasury curve. It most certainly did. Yeah, let's, um, let's talk a bit more about the uh, Nancy Pelosi situation. The U.S. House Speaker has met Taiwan's President Tsai Ing-wen in Taipei in a visit that has drawn a sharp rebuke from Chinese authorities. Pelosi landed late Tuesday in the first visit by an American House Speaker for 25 years. A Chinese foreign affairs official described it as a major political provocation. China will hold live-fire military exercises is just 80 miles off Taiwan's coast on Saturday, while Taiwan says it will defend its national security. Pelosi pledged continued solidarity with Taiwan as she addressed the island's president earlier. Taiwan has been an island of resilience in the world. Indeed, the people of Taiwan have proven to the world that with hope, courage and determination, it is possible to build a peaceful and prosperous future, even in terms of the challenges you face. And now more than ever, America's solidarity with Taiwan is crucial. And that is the message we are bringing here today. Nancy Pelosi there. Well, let's bring in Richard McGregor, senior fellow at the uh, Lowy Institute. Richard, good morning to you and thank you for joining us here. Um, has China overplayed its hand with the hostile rhetoric at this point? Well, in their terms, I don't think so. And I think it's just the start uh, of a series of reactions that you'll see from China uh, to this trip. I mean, in many respects, it's an excuse for them to do all sorts of things they've been preparing for for years. In other words, to change however slightly the status quo over Taiwan and find ways to increase pressure on the government there to enter talks for unification. So. The, I mean, we might think they've overplayed their hands, but the truth is, since the last Taiwan crisis some time ago, Beijing is a much more powerful country, and they're in a much more powerful position to put pressure on Taiwan and keep the U.S. at bay. Increasingly, there is a great deal of complexity in the relationship, particularly around the symbiotic nature of the economic relationship between these two countries here. And even as we talk about this, uh, Chinese investors um, saw a doubling of the number that sought clearance to take stakes in U.S. companies, according to a Treasury Department report overnight here. So even as we have all this noise coming out of the foreign ministry and there is this apparent anger over this visit, we have Chinese investors seeking a greater stake in the U.S. economy. That's complicated. Well, it is, and this is the whole, um, you know, issue with Taiwan. We, we talk a lot about the military side of the equation. Obviously, that's extremely important. I think the economic implications are much more important, should it ever come to something much more serious. I mean, we all know the story about Taiwan and TSMC, UMC, in other words, you know, the biggest um, uh, foundries in the world for making semiconductors, about 60% of the global market. But Taiwan, in many ways, is at the center of an indivisible supply chain linking China, Japan, South Korea, to a lesser extent, Southeast Asia, which really supplies the entire world economy. So 
you know, if you interrupt supplies in and out of China, you're going to have an instantaneous effect on the rest of the world. And so the inter interdependence that you're talking about there with Chinese investment into the US is a really positive thing, actually, because it lifts the price in any real Taiwan crisis. Richard, ironically, does this visit by Pelosi play to President Xi's domestic advantage? Because this is ahead of the party Congress later on this year. Also, there's rising unemployment at home, not to mention malaise due to the various uh, COVID policy and, uh, and, and lockdowns. Might this actually be a nationalistic boost at home? Quite possibly. You know, this is the year of the once every five years party congress. She has got a big ask for that, which in all likelihood he'll get. In other words, a sort of convention busting uh, third term. You know, in theory, this should be a, a coronation. You know, the economy should be doing well. People should be happy. But as you say, none of that is the case. But Taiwan, I think, you know, you're right in a sense. You know, it's um, everybody likes to wrap themselves in the flag. Uh, nationalism is a powerful force in China, but he wants to make sure he gets it right, um, because if he doesn't get the balance between sort of intimidation and over-escalation right, that could play back against him, particularly in internal politics, you know, because it's sensitive internally as well as being, uh, you know, something which can boost one's popularity. You always talk about how China feels about this, how the US feels about this. What is little talked about is how the Taiwanese themselves feel about this. And I would imagine that there'd be some who'd be a little bit fearful about what this, uh, what this particular visit by Pelosi could eventuate into, as not to mention the fact that there are about a million Taiwanese living on the mainland. Yes, in, in some respects, the Taiwanese are used to it. Um, but, you know, I'm glad you raise, uh, you know, it is about the Taiwanese, 26 million people living in a democracy. They're there, the meat in the sandwich. But, you know, the, the first thing to say is that Thai, people in Taiwan overwhelmingly do not want to be governed from Beijing. That's the first and most important point. The second point, though, is that is Pelosi's visit entirely welcome? Yes, for some people it is. They want Taiwan's concerns to be highlighted. But for many Taiwanese leaders, that's not the case because they don't want the issue elevated. They don't want it up in headlines. They don't want China to be forced to make you know, tough, intimidatory decisions. They want life to go on as it is. So it's a very, you know, fine set of needles to thread there, and it's hard to do it perfectly. Richard McGregor, thank you very much for kicking off our show, a really important story that we will continue to follow. Joining us there from the Lowy Institute, Senior Fellow. Well, let's get back to the earnings parade out of Europe right now. We have Siemens Healthineers, which has reaffirmed its 2022 outlook on the back of uh, 5.2 billion euros in revenue in the third quarter. That's a 200 million euro increase on the year. The medical tech firm says that it assumes developments related to the war in Ukraine will not have any adverse effects on its business. Well, let's bring in Jochen Schmitz, who is CFO with Siemens Healthineers. Jochen, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, can you uh, tell us in your own words how you feel about this particular quarter? Yeah, thank you very much and uh, also good morning from my side. Um, I, or we feel very strong about the performance in this quarter, in particular considering uh, the challenging circumstances. If you look at our equipment order intake, double-digit growth again, high book book to bill 
and uh, uh, all in all, a very, very strong performance of the team. COVID is one of those things which, uh, for some people, absolutely devastating. For other people, at least from a uh, commercial point of view, uh, had uh, certain silver linings. For you, obviously, as a uh, medical device maker, I see that you saw a lot of demand for your for your what we call in Australia rat test or the rapid COVID-19 uh, antigen test. But as the pandemic moves to a new phase, uh, do you expect to see lower demands and therefore a, a negative knock-on effect to your bottom line? Um, first of all, when you look at our uh, revenue growth rate, you see the impact of a declining demand for testing currently. Yeah, we had last year, uh, the strongest quarter was last year's quarter, Q3 with 600 million revenue for us on rapid testing. This, this quarter it was 300. That led also to the negative growth rate. Uh, on the other hand, this is not at the core of our portfolio. Eh? It, it just showed how agile the company, I would say, tried to help in, in, in the pandemic and uh, it worked out also being positively f- from a financial perspective. But we do not bank our midterm or long-term future on rapid antigen testing. Yeah, Jochen, just help us out very briefly. I mean, I think we're all aware of the news story around uh, Celex um, launching this legal action. Can you tell us, do you, do you expect any material impact to earnings from this case? Uh, from our standpoint, we do not expect this at all. Um, and when we look at it, uh, it's, a, it's a design claim, so to say, on, on the cartouche, which, is, uh, which had clearly prior use already. So we are not concerned about this. But um, you, you, you are engaged in the litigation, though, just to be if you could just bring us up to date with where we are on the story. Yeah, we just got sued by them. Therefore, we are engaged in the litigation. It happened at the beginning of this week, so end of last week, and we did not know about this beforehand. Therefore, not a lot to update yet, but if we look into it, as I said, we do not expect any material effect from this. Yeah, okay, thank you for that. Can I ask you then about the evolution through the second half of the year in terms of free cash flow development? Can you uh, continue to convert uh, business to cash? And uh, thank you for the question. Yeah? On the free cash flow side, we had a very, very strong quarter. Again, cash conversion rate almost at one, so equaling profit. Uh, and uh, that shows also the overall strength of our teams collecting cash. But it also shows that we are very well managing the significant supply chain challenges we have. Uh, and uh, what we also see on, on the customer front, that there is uh, the willingness to pay uh, still holding up well. Yeah. So much for joining us with that snapshot, Jochen Schmitz, CFO of Siemens Healthineers. Well, let's take a look at what Société Générale posted. Indeed, it was a better-than-expected loss of 1.48 billion euros in the second quarter. It also announced a share buyback of 915 million euros. The French lender, indeed, it is the third biggest listed bank in France. It absorbed a 3.3 billion euro hit from the sale of its Russian unit, Rossbank. Uh, Indeed, the lender is now looking for a new CEO to follow Frédéric Oudéa's 15-year tenure at the helm. 
We're going to be speaking with Mr. Udaya. He's going to be joining us in just a few minutes' time. Do catch that interview at 7.30 CET. Well, it's yes. fascinating, isn't it? We talk a lot about the uh, German data looking a little bit weaker mm. at the moment. And I think, you know, there are signs that the economy is... Um, reaching stall speed here. Mm. As we reflect back on the second quarter, Commerce Bank actually has delivered a very respectable set of numbers here, and they say based on strong customer business and rising interest rates, revenue in the second quarter increased to 2.48 billion euros, CT1 ratio up to 13.7 in terms of the uh, second quarter profit, it was uh, better than expected. The group uh, reported 470 million euros against a loss of 527 million euros a year earlier. The, uh, the market was looking for 370 million, so that is a, a significant improvement on the expectation here. The uh, bank delivering an operating profit at 1.289 billion euros. We will speak with the CFO of the business, Bettina Orlop, will join us later on in the show. That's coming up at 8 Central European time. Be interesting to hear from her whether she thinks that momentum can continue given some of the underlying pressures the German economy is facing. Uh, we'll come back to that services sector story in China in uh, just a few moments as well. The uh, services sector seeing expansion at the fastest pace in over a year as easing COVID curbs appear to boost confidence and spending. We'll have a look at the numbers, as I say, in just a moment. Indeed, certainly coming off a very low base. Anyway, for more on the fallout from Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan, do check out the Squawk Box podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. U.S. Treasury yields moved higher on Tuesday after a series of hawkish comments from Fed officials. Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester, a voting member this year, said there is, quote, more work to do on fighting inflation and that she has yet to see a peak in price pressures. The Chicago Fed President Charles Evans said he supports continued rate hikes, saying the FOMC wants to get to neutral, the so-called mythical neutral rate, expeditiously, while uh, St. Louis Fed uh, Reserve President James Bullard backed the Fed to achieve a soft landing as it looks to tame inflation without harming growth in the economy. We're well, speaking to CNBC, uh, San Francisco Fed President Mary Daly said she needed to see more data before being convinced inflation has peaked. We've been with this high inflation for a while and really getting too confident that we've already solved the problem I think would be a mistake. 
We need to keep committed until we actually see it in the data. And we are seeing signs that, again, the economy is slowing. We have, but we have a couple more inflation uh, releases before the next FOMC meeting. We have a couple more labor market reports, including one this Friday. And I really am looking to seeing what those data tell us about whether we can downshift a little bit the, the pace of rate hikes. Well, this hawkish Fed speak that we got from multiple corners overnight, definitely one of the reasons why the US markets closed in negative territory. And the other is the jitters over what's going on with regards to Taiwan with Pelosi's visit there. And of course, China then announcing military drills. Uh, so you've got the Dow down by over 1%, uh, not quite as bad there for the NASDAQ, but the S&P 500 also to the downside. And we also got some data on the jobs front as well. And naturally, uh, because so many people point to, oh, there's the strength of the labor market and that's going to keep the Fed hiking, etc., etc. But actually, the job market does seem to be somewhat at the edge, uh, softening up a little bit. We got that jolts number showing that uh, there was an easing in job openings and hirings are also on the downside, indeed falling for the fourth straight month. So this was all showing up in what was going on with Treasury. So normally with the, uh, the Taiwan narrative, you would maybe get a safe haven bid into bonds. That was not the case in overnight trade. Indeed, we saw a yields rising naturally because of all those Fed speakers throwing a bucket of cold water on the markets thinking about a Fed so-called pivot to a, a dovish stance. Uh, so you have here uh, the US two-year uh, above the 3% mark, and of course that is yielding higher than the five-year and the 10-year. The 10-year sitting at 2.7% there as well. Let's uh, move along and take a look at the dollar crosses. Strong dollar movement in overnight trade with the euro and uh, various other currencies like the Australian dollar and also the yen all falling back against the resurgent greenback. Once again, uh, in times of uh, trouble and uh, and, and, and geopolitical jitters, we, we do quite often see that safe haven flow into the US dollar. So we've got here uh, the euro dollar rate sitting at 101.77, so it's dropped back below 102. Uh, sterling, 121.73, not able to cling on to that 122 handle. Uh, dollar yen uh, is currently sitting at 132.88, but in overnight trade, we saw an easing in the Japanese currency from the 130s uh, all the way up to the 133s. So as I say, a little bit to give back uh, so far today, which I guess is sort of afternoon uh, Asian time, but uh, nonetheless still uh, yen not as strong as it was. Talking of Asia afternoon, let's take a look at how the markets are doing. Well, naturally, they've had quite a bit of time to digest everything coming out of uh, the, uh, the press conference over there in Taiwan with Nancy Pelosi, and they're managing to take it in their stride. Sharp sell-off yesterday, I guess it's sort of a, a you know, a, a sell the rumour. Today, maybe a little bit of buy the fact. Um, we're just, of course, still in that wait and see period, Jeff, as to uh, what more there could be coming out of uh, China's response so far with those military drills. Maybe the market is feeling they, could, they, can, they can handle this so far. Um, but, uh, you know, if it does escalate further from here, all bets might be off. But for today, we're managing to see some, uh, uh, some move to the upside for the Shanghai Hong Kong market in Nikkei 225. Uh, the Australian market, which surprisingly in the sea of red yesterday was actually one of the gainers uh, because the RBA didn't uh, come out with any nasty surprises and uh, put itself out there as one of the central banks that's going to wing it from here. It's going to be data dependent. It's going to keep its options open. And I think yesterday there was a bit of relief for the Aussie market. Today, there's some give back. 
Uh, let's you. talk about the China services sector data. We saw expansion at the fastest pace since April 2021 last month as easing COVID cons uh, curbs boosted consumer confidence apparently. But it wasn't all good news as companies cut staff for the seventh straight month and overseas demand eased. Uh, Sam has more on the story for us from Singapore. Good morning, Sam. Good morning to you, Jeff. That's right. That data today certainly painting an interesting picture of what's going on in the Chinese economy at the moment, although I would say it was perhaps largely overshadowed by Pelosi's trip to Taiwan today. So it's a bit uh, hard to decipher as to how investors are feeling about this data at the moment, given the geopolitical risk and China's response right now militarily and economically. But for what it's worth, uh, as you say, at a headline, it looks good. But of course, you do need to look under the hood. And what this data really tells us uh, is that firstly, the smaller and private firms have actually held up slightly better than the bigger and state-owned firms in the month of July, because of course, this is the private survey. The other thing that this data tells us is actually that the services sector has managed to hold up a lot better and has actually remained more resilient than the manufacturing recovery, because if you rewind a couple of days, of course, we were just talking about how the official manufacturing PMI numbers actually surprisingly contracted. So you could say we are looking at a fairly uneven recovery over in China at the moment. Uh, while we have certainly seen uh, factory activity slowing down, we did see the services sector showing activity growing at the fastest pace uh, in 15 months. That was really thanks to those easing COVID curbs that really helped boost domestic demand. Of course, it is good for things like bars and restaurants. We also saw these government efforts to try to boost consumption. And uh, really, this was in a bit of a contrast to the official numbers. Uh, we did see them actually softening up slightly, although they both managed to stay elevated. And that also came, as, as I said, we saw those COVID curbs easing and also around domestic travel. So what we've seen is a response to some of this uh, pent-up demand, and that really helped the PMIs when it came to some of those uh, heavily affected sectors like catering and also transport. But as I say, if you look under the hood, employment still a bit of a concern within this data as well. We know that that is a big focus for the government right now. Mandy and Jeff, back to you in London. We always have to look under the hood, don't we? The devil is in the details. Thank you very much for joining us. Sam Vardas joining us from Singapore. Let's take a look at the oil market. Uh, naturally, that's a market that closely watches the economic indicators out of China. Uh, Brent crude is currently down by three-tenths of percent at 127 so we're giving back a little bit of the gain that it got overnight uh wti crude also slightly lower at 94.22 but still year to date wti is up about 24 percent uh, but uh, nonetheless we're seeing a little sogginess this morning following a reuters report that opec plus has trimmed its supply surplus forecast for the year by 200,000 barrels to 800,000 barrels per day. The producer group meets today to discuss its production plans. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.